Welcome to the Brew Crew Review Podcast, the show by fans or fans of your Milwaukee Brewers. All right, welcome back, Brewer fans, to the Brew Crew Review Podcast. Uh, joining me today, uh, this is Craig Vincent Scott, uh, bringing you a draft recap, um, and we'll also try to shed a little bit of light on what's going on with a potential start of an actual baseball season. Um, so, uh, yeah, how's, how's it going, guys? Pretty, pretty good, Craig. Uh, don't we have Chad on this week as well? Uh, he, he might chime in at any point, just never know, but uh, it is interesting that uh, we're all joining you from different quadrants of the country. Um, I know Vince is somewhere in, near the Florida Panhandle at this point, and uh, yeah. unfortunately I'm still here stuck in uh, Franklin, Wisconsin, and Scott, of course, is in Henderson, Nevada, um, being very safe, but uh, he's going to come out with a soon probably from Portland, Oregon, so again, uh our voice was not saying where, where, where we are, but the, we're always have the Brewers at the forefront of our minds, and hopefully we see them on the field or at least on the television <laughs> in a less than yeah. a month. So we shall see. Um, um, I think so Chad anyway, is uh, still. Uh, I think Chad is still protesting. I know last week. Yeah, I, he might be. I, I was protesting pretty hard last week. I just. I don't. Yeah. The, I, it's just about time that somebody just really stepped up and, and took a stand, I think, for everybody. Um, Chick-fil-A's mac and cheese is just not that good, and I hold them to a high standard, and they're going to have to make some changes, some real changes to that mac and cheese recipe. And until then, I mean, look, you guys, I do whatever I can for you know just for the good of the nation, and I think it's time we start working from, like, big to small, like start with the big issues. And that's, that's what we are doing. So uh, I yeah. think Chad is still out there uh, fighting the good fight, but I, I, I can't miss more than one episode in a row. So. No, Scott, I totally agree. I'm uh, just going to head to Fort Myers and sit there until the twins show up for spring training again. So I don't, I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> going to wait down here and see what happens. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but uh, tonight I'm going to be around uh, Tampa. So I think I'll probably just, maybe wait outside the Tropicana Dome for a little bit as well and see who shows up, if anyone. And if not, we'll at least head to spring training to try to get some coverage of the Brewer fans at Twins Camp. So it should be, should be good. Maybe spring training will start while you're still there, hopefully in a couple of days if everything works out right. We'll see. Um, we will see. And if that's the case, we'll be there. I will cover it for uh, Brooker Review. We'll get our press passes awesome. back. Everything will be great. All right. Well, uh, without further ado, uh, let's do a little bit of a draft recap. Um, like tradition is every year, uh, we were unable to predict exactly who the Brewers were going to pick in any of the rounds. But uh, it was a pretty interesting draft. Uh, obviously, it was reduced this year to only five-round drafts for all players or for all teams in the league. Brewers have five picks, including the plaintiff's pick in the first round. And so we'll quick, I'm going to list out the picks, and we'll kind of just talk about them in general or individually. Um, as we go through the episode here. Um, so the first round pick, the Brewers picked 20th overall, and they were able to land uh, UCLA's um, center fielder, Garrett Mitchell, um, left-handed hitter. Um, and then in the second round, 53rd overall pick, the Brewers picked Freddy Zamora, right-handed hitting shortstop from University of Miami. In the third round, 92nd pick overall, the Brewers selected 
Xavier Warren, a switch hitting catcher slash third baseman from Central Michigan. Um, fourth round pick, number 121st overall, the Brewers pick. Joy Weimer, outfielder from Cincinnati, right-handed hitting corner outfielder. And uh, the fifth round pick and their final pick of the draft, 151st overall, the Brewers selected Hayden Cantrell. He was a shortstop at Louisiana Lafayette. I think the Brewers may have listed him as a second baseman when they drafted him. And I think that's where he probably profiles as as a major leaguer, um, hopefully. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall, um, interesting draft. If, if any, I know the Brewers had some type of uh, stigma, you know, in the past since the Todd Johnson um, – David Stern's regime that they kind of prefer up the middle players. And this draft definitely solidifies that as four of the five picks were up the middle type players for the most part. So, um, yeah, I guess what are your overall thoughts on this? I know Scott, you weren't able to join us last episode, so maybe you want to start off on your, on your thoughts. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, when I obviously when we think of the middle players, I mean, not only are, does that typically profile as somebody being, um, you know, more athletic, um, but also um, probably having a little bit more speed than average. And I think that um, for the most part, that's that's exactly right. Um, it was very interesting that we had five college hitters and nothing else. But um, I think there's two big factors there. One of them is that the draft is only five rounds. So you, you really are going to need to hit uh, on as many of those as you can. And so I think that that was probably part of the reasoning for looking at all college hitters uh, with more advanced bats. But um, I think the other part of that is our farm system is so depleted that it puts even more pressure on us to be able to, uh, to hit on these draft picks. Whereas um, if you look at somebody like uh, the, the Cardinal system, I mean, they always have a great farm system. It's always a deep farm system. Uh, they were kind of, I guess their draft was more like swinging for the fences, like a lot of boomer bust type players with, with potentially higher ceilings than what we had. But I think that with, with their farm system right now, they can kind of afford to do that where uh, our draft approach, I think made sense for, for our situation. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, Scott. I, you know, um, I was surprised that we didn't take any pictures at all in any of the five rounds. It, you know, it seems like it's, been kind of a Craig I think you framed it like a curse on the organization we can't ever develop pitching I I can't think of anybody outside of Ben Sheets and Giovanni Gallardo literally in the last uh, like 20 years that we've actually drafted and developed uh, into being a, a reasonably good starter I guess maybe Willie Peralta for a season or two but uh, and the 20 years before that was even worse <laughs> well anyway, I mean sorry. yeah I, yeah I was just saying reason history but yeah no it's it's, it's been a problem for a long time um so I was a little surprised we're not taking at least one flyer, you know, on guys in the first five rounds here or the only five rounds of the uh, 2020 draft. Um, I think that the guys that we did select seem to be versatile types in the sense that they have multiple tools um, kind of across the board, but not really specializing in one particular skill set. I think that, um, you know, our first round pick is a guy who um, has a decent decent very good speed a decent glove uh he's got a good bat but not a bat that's got a lot of power i think the stat that i saw was what was it six home runs and uh you know uh, forget how many games at ucla so um not really a power bat but maybe that'll develop you know as, 
as, as he kind of builds out uh, his training regimen uh, going forward in, as a professional. But it was kind of interesting. I, you know, so it was guys who I think are more versatile, more versatile and, and very good, but not necessarily skilled in one particular area. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty interesting. I, I agree with Vince with Vince's point, too, that I was pretty shocked they didn't take a picture, especially this draft in particular was really known to be really deep in college starting pitching. I mean, I guess the top 10 guys this year would have gone over the number one pick college pitcher last year. But unfortunately, last year was a weak college pitching draft, and the Brewers ended up taking a, <laughs> a college pitcher in the first round with Ethan Small. So it's kind of interesting that way, um, kind of shocking. I thought we'd at least grab one in the second round. In fact, I'd really like this draft if we would have picked, because I thought there were some really good college arms still available when our second round came, pick came up. Specifically, I really like Clayton Beater. Uh, but anyway, the Dodgers landed him. But, uh, I, I mean, we took Freddie Zamora, um, and, you know, I'm sure he'll be a solid player. But I, I guess that was my one disappointment overall in this. Uh, getting back to the first-round pick, Garrett Mitchell, well, a year ago at this time, Garrett Mitchell was actually considered a top five pick and almost in consensus top 10 pick in the draft. Um, obviously, there wasn't much of any season this year to really move the needle either way. But for whatever reason, um, he did fall to us at number 20 overall. So you can't argue it wasn't a good value pick. I'm particularly not, not super enthused with the pick just because he doesn't really have the type of power I usually like for a first-round hitter, I guess. But – um, with that being said, I think he's a pretty, pretty high floor and a pretty safe pick. I mean, I think the guy's going to be a major leaguer, but I wouldn't expect a superstar by any means. I mean, I suppose there's that chance. But for the most part, if I had to compare him to a current player, he's kind of like a left-handed version of an A.J. Pollock. So, again, a really good defensive center fielder who can get on, you know, knows how to get on base, pretty solid idea uh, of the strike zone, but limited power, maybe like topping out 20 homers a year any given season and but with that being said he probably hit his share of triples doubles and all that stuff i think it's a pretty solid pick um and then just kind of the other guys might not only two fair picks of the five were probably the our fifth round pick the hayden cantrell um i think he's kind of one of those gamer types and not only that but he has a versatility play a couple positions and he's also a switch hitter which i like in fact out of the five picks we'd pick two switch hitters the other switch hitter and the second my second favorite pick of this draft, so to speak, is our third-round pick, Xavier Warren, who, interestingly enough, has not played catcher since high school, played third base mostly at Central Michigan. And um, he, again, has kind of limited power himself, but he really uh, has a good idea how to get on base. His uh, on-base skills are pretty high, which uh, I'm a fan of, especially for someone who could possibly be a catcher. So, again, I think it's a really good pick if he somehow does stick at catcher. Um um, but if he somehow moves to a corner infield spot or something like, especially third base, I don't know if it's that, you know, he'd be more than a utility type guy, but we'll see. Uh, but I really like that pick. Um, I guess my least favorite pick is probably the fourth round pick just because I really hate his swing. And there's some comps to like Hunter Pence, which is just a goofy, goofy, gangly, uh, corner outfielder with whatever though, I guess. Um, so, and as far as our second round pick, Freddie Zamora, um, again, his hit tool could play up a little bit, but he's kind of a defensive first. He's really good defensively. He'll, he is probably going to stick a shortstop. He's got a real good arm. However, he did tear his ACL, so the injury thing hanging over him. He also got suspended from the team for academic reasons last 
season. So, um, I don't know. He wasn't my favorite of the picks, but he could end up being a solid pick. And I don't know, even comparing him to like Orlando RC is not completely, you know, totally far fetched. He's really good defensively, but hit tool is, in my opinion, probably below average for a major leaguer. But anyway. Well, um, no, that's, that's good, good analysis, Craig. You know, just, just want to point out Hunter Pence is a four time all star. Just, you know, so he hasn't had a completely awful career. I think that there'd be some. No, I, I mean, I think that's best case scenario for that guy. I, I just don't even think he'll be a major leaguer, but you never know. Um, and not only that, but Hunter Pence, really, Hunter Pence's true value is in his uh, leadership skills. As everyone knows, he was yeah. on a world champion uh, Giants, and supposedly, you know, he gave some pretty awesome locker room speeches and all that stuff, and generally just really likes the teammate. With that being said, yeah, I don't and, think... and, and the NL champ uh, Astros in 05, too. That's right, yeah. So, anyway, I mean, uh, it's not a bad comp. So, I, I mean, obviously, now he's a brewer. I wish him the best, and hopefully that does come to fruition. But uh, and, he, and he does have probably the most power of anyone in, that we drafted. So, can't complain too much. I, I just, again, thought that pick maybe should have been a pitcher, too. But uh, fans yeah. kind of speculate that maybe because of the – lost season for pretty much everyone in the minor league most likely this year that you know you don't want to pick a picture and then you know have them lose a whole year of development why not wait till next year's draft and draft some pitchers where they can throw them on the field right away and and maybe the hitters can just you know get their timing back even if they have a lost season i don't know if i agree with that a lot of the other, other teams they probably don't either in fact the miami marlins had six picks and they took all pitchers so um i don't know if that was necessarily anyone's particular philosophy but you never know. Um, I just think that possibly these are the best players on the Brewers' draft board, and they just went all college hitters, I guess. So, it, so quick question for you guys: do you do you think that the Brewers drafting a center fielder in the first round shows that they're likely or more likely to trade Corey Ray? Because uh, it seems like we've got a center fielder, you know, for the next three years, Lorenzo Cain, pretty much. Um, now we've got a guy behind Corey Ray in the organization who at least has a high pedigree and some expectations as a first rounder. Um, I think if there is a season this year that it's likely that Corey Ray makes an expanded roster for the Brewers. Um, he was already on the 40 man going into 2020 before the COVID situation hit. So I think it was likely he was going to make his debut uh, in Milwaukee at some point and it still is um, this year. So do you think that Corey Ray is, is kind of viewed now as a guy who's likely to get traded or what are your thoughts on Corey Ray after this pick? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I've always considered Corey Ray kind of expendable because um, although he was obviously drafted really high, he has not um, proven to be able to do anything um, at the minor league level so far. He's basically had like one really good year and, and not much else. And um, unfortunately, uh, with yeah, with his most recent injury, that kind of derailed him a little bit. And I, he's just a big question mark. So I, I, I think that it's it's really important to have that kind of depth. And then I guess the other thing I wanted to point out, um, Garrett Mitchell, I, from everything that I've heard anyway, the guy wows people in BP. Like he has a ton of raw power. He just hasn't been able to utilize it yet. So um, it's obviously something where he's, he's probably going to have to correct something with his swing or um, I don't know, like just quit hitting the ball on the ground or something like that. But for what it's worth, I mean, Christian Yelich wasn't a power hitter until all of a sudden he came here. I don't want to like parallel the two perfectly like that and say, oh, well, it's obviously something the Brewers did because I don't 
necessarily think. I think it was just Yelich kind of coming into his own. And I'm I'm hoping that uh, Garrett Mitchell will develop in, into that big-time power hitter. And then completely off topic before, I just found it weird that when we were talking about how we, we weren't drafting um, pitchers and how we can't develop pitchers, isn't it odd that, like, we cannot develop pitchers for the life of us, but we can grab pitchers off of the scrap heap at the major league level and then turn them into really good pitchers? I, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. a weird plan from now on. Yeah, no, that is that is bizarre, and um, it seems like it's been happening, like Craig said, for a long, long time with the organization. So I don't know what it is, but um, most of our best pitchers over the years have been guys we've gotten from other organizations. So um, don't know how long that problem goes back, but no, that's that, that is interesting. I will point out really quick on Mitchell, too, uh, Scott, that to your point, he did play in, you know, the the ballpark at UCLA, which is known as being one of the deepest, you know, parks to play in, and um, you know, it is a tough power park. So I don't think that, you know, he's got great raw or he's got great power in games right now. But it, it, sh- it should be said that his home ballpark was much larger than, you know, many other players in the draft. So I, I do think that that's a point worth mentioning. Yeah. And with that being said, I mean, it's not that he didn't have any power. He did have, I think, 13 triples one year. Um, and so, yeah, he, he definitely, yeah, he, he the definitely can hit the yeah. gaps and whatnot in any stadium. And like Scott said, it's been said that he's got, you know, bang practice power. Um, so we'll see if he can translate that in the game. I know I was actually on the phone with Scott uh, while the Brewers made that selection. We were trying to guess who, who the Brewers were going to take. We each picked three three players and uh, the six that were on, board, on our boards. The Brewers didn't pick any of them. They actually picked Mitchell. Um, and then they showed a couple of highlights that we were watching. And it looked, I told my joke with Scott that, they looked like a couple of ground balls at second baseman. I can't believe those were his highlights. But anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> I guess he is. I mean, the main thing is he is really fast. He, he could develop power. I think best case scenario, I've heard comps of like Jim Edmonds. And, and what, I guess what's the first thing when people think of Jim Edmonds, I mean, besides the a-hole, I guess, um, is, that, is that he was awesome defensively. Uh, and I think Garrett Mitchell has that ability, and he's going to for sure stick as a center fielder. And I think that's the most exciting part of it because I think the rest of his skill sets should be enough for him to be a, um, at least a major leader, even if he doesn't develop, you know, over 20 home run power. Um, I think he'll still have lots of extra base hits. Um, and not only that, but he profiles as more of a top of the order hitter than the middle of the order hitter regardless. So, um, yeah, I think it's – and as a left-handed hitter, I, I always, you know, like that sort of the top lineup too. So, overall – can't complain, and like I said, I think the Brewers are lucky to him to be available at that point. So I think it almost would be slightly foolish not to take him at that point, regardless of me, because I, I, I do think he was probably the best player on board at that time. Um, and as yeah. far as speaking to uh, Vince's question about Corey Ray, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, we, he was a top five pick, um, kind of with a similar athletic skill set as Garrett Mitchell, and there was thought that he could play center field. I think that as he progressed to the minors, it's kind of clear that he was most likely going to be a corner outfielder. But other, there was other comparisons. I mean, he really did have a good hit tool in um, college, and he had plenty of triples and doubles and all that stuff. Limited power that they helped develop also. Um, but unfortunately, he's one of those guys that he, he, I think this 2020 season was going to be huge for him and whether he was going to be a bust. And, and not make the majors at all or, or finally break through because um, now he's going to come back in 2021 and probably be a year older and even have more 
of the cards stacked against him, so to speak, unfortunately. So I think that the Brewers, he'll be there for depth, and if he can do anything, he'd probably become a trade ship or whatnot. But um, like I said, I don't think that he factored too much in to drafting Garrett Mitchell or not because, again, at this point in the draft, you're picking probably best player available regardless of position, and I think Mitchell was definitely that. So. Yep, that's yeah, and that's been the Brewers' overall draft philosophy the last several uh, drafts, and it certainly seems like that under the uh, David Stearns era. So I, I, I'm not surprised, Craig, when we did do our show that Scott uh, skipped during the protests. I, I know that we mentioned that the Brewers are most were most likely to to do that, take the guy no matter the position, uh, who was the best available at that slot. So it, it does make some sense. But I was going yeah, to try to and, join in by phone from the protest, but people wouldn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people upset about the mac and cheese guy. Yeah, so you know. Yeah, people were upset. Um, but no, I mean overall, I guess the shocking thing was just a no pitcher. I, I heard some Brewer fans saying that I thought they were to pick two or three pitchers out of five picks, and there is a definitely need. Um, but uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, at starting Sunday morning, I think at six a.m., team can start to sign undrafted free agents. But again, most high schoolers that weren't picked would probably opt to go to college at this point and hope for better in next year's draft, or whatever. Because they're really the max that they can sign for now is twenty thousand dollars, which is nothing. Um, so, for an example, I think our uh, the slot value for our fifth round pick, Hayden Cantrell, is like over three hundred fifty thousand dollars for a signing slot. So, right. I mean, to, right. to be picked now, it's just completely crapshoot and. I don't know that the birds are going to be able to land very many quality arms, so to speak, in the signing period. So um, with that being said, last year, the draft, their first two picks in last year's draft, both their first rounder and supplemental first rounder, were both uh, left-handers um, in Small and Kelly. So, I, I, you know, I think that, the, you know, they just picked best player available and didn't worry about the pitchers this time. But uh, I don't know. It, it just seems like it's the overall philosophy of the current regime, though, is to really focus on hitting and then, you know, fill in, hitting in like a great bullpen and then fill in the rest of the rotation with um, guys that can just get through five or six innings. I don't know, kind of a non-ace philosophy, so to speak, but we'll see. Um, overall, I think I would give the, if I was throwing up grades, I'd probably give the draft like a B uh, overall. So yeah. solid, n- nothing too spectacular, but also, you know, not a C either. So, I you know, it's a pretty solid draft, I would say. Yeah, that was that was my grade for it as well, Craig. I was going to give them a, a B. Yeah, I would have been an A if they would have taken a decent pitcher. You know, I, that's my one wish. I would like to point out that two of my favorite players in the draft were power headers from high school. One was Jordan Walker, unfortunately, the Cardinals picked in the first round, and the other one was Jordan Blaze, who the Red Sox ended up picking in the third round. But anyway, um, we'll see. Uh, and then uh, I guess we'll, we'll kind of turn over the talk now. <laughs> I know we have not really discussed this on a podcast yet, so um, hopefully I don't get cut off here. But I'm really shocked that the draft has already happened and there's not a plan in place for baseball to resume. Um, I think the health obstacles, I wouldn't say, are out of the way, but are kind of pushed to the background at this point with a lot of other major sports looking to reopen um, in short order. I think the original plan, looking back a few weeks ago, is that they were hoping to start spring training by this date by around June 10th with the hopes of starting an actual season between July 1st and July 4th. 
I think those things are no longer happening as obviously we're speaking and there's no spring training yet and there's no agreement. Um, getting kind of ugly. Uh, before I comment too much on it, I guess I'll just say that the last proposal was just dropped yesterday by the owners um, and the Players Association has until the end of Sunday to accept it, which I think there's zero chance they do that. So where does that leave us as baseball fans? Um, which one do you guys want to take that one? Yeah, no, I'll start with that. I, I frustrated. I mean, that's the answer I would get, Craig. I, it's frustrating. I think that both as baseball fans and actually in a larger sense as a country, uh, it would be great to have some baseball right about now. It's been a for 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 baseball fans. It's been an especially rough couple months. I think that you guys can relate. I personally, it's uh, it very much marks the year for me. You know, those those dates like opening day and the All Star Game and. Uh, that that kind of is how I <laughs> have my own personal calendar hardwired, I think, too. And it's very frustrating to not have any baseball. I, I think that there's enough fault to go around to both sides, I will say that. Um, but I think that, you know, there has to be a compromise that's reached. I do think that there will be one. I You know, I've been on record on this podcast saying that there will be baseball played in 2020. I, I do believe that. I know that, you know, officially the agreement that was reached in March when spring training was shut down included the ability for the commissioner to essentially force the players to come back and play um, a shorter season. It sounds like that would be about 50 games. And uh, my hope is that they can come to some sort of an agreement to play more games than that. I certainly think that that would add some legitimacy to any playoff races. And um, I think that the concessions that they have reached are good. You know, that there's an agreement generally about, health, uh, health uh, stuff, there's an agreement that's been reached on expanded rosters, it sounds like, expanded playoff rosters, and, uh, you know, so those are all positive signs. I do think that some of this negotiating is just that, and it's negotiating, it's being done in the press, uh, and publicly to, you know, try to sway the public on the one side or the other, so I, I don't get caught up in every little detail that's quote-unquote reported, because many of it is, you know, much of it is done for a reason, but, um yeah, I, I, you know, I, at the end, I'm frustrated, but do think that there will be baseball. I'm hopeful that it'll be, you know, somewhere, if not the 4th of July, shortly thereafter. Hey, Scott, what's, what's your thoughts on it? Well, um, we've got just under four minutes to go in this podcast, so, but I'll, I'll try to make it fairly brief. Um, to me, for some reason, I really, I, I, I've really been kind of set on an, at least an 81 game season. Um, and the fact that now we're kind of looking more toward like a 48 or 50 game season really, really kind of disappoints me. Um, I mean, like I just picture this whole best case scenario, like we do a 48 game season and the Brewers win it all for the first time ever. And then we go, Oh yeah. But there's going to be like kind of an asterisk by it. Like the entire time, like it'd be like, Oh yeah, you guys won one, but <laughs> shortened season. Like you only played basically a quarter of a year. Like, you know, like, I don't want that. And so um, I, to me, like having at least 81 games kind of gives it a little bit more legitimacy. And uh, I don't know. I, th I think the whole thing is kind of frustrating. And then I guess the other part of all this is even if both sides do get together, if we apparently, I don't know, get some new second wave of COVID or something else ridiculous like that, or I don't know, we burn down another city or something, then like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but, like, these are things that can also get in the way, like, that are kind of outside our control. I 
I still just don't think like I think that we'll probably try to start a season and I, I just don't think it's gonna work. I don't think it's gonna um I, I don't think we'll be able to finish it. I think something will disrupt it and I I don't know. Sorry, I know I'm pessimistic uh with the outcome, but I, I just don't I, I don't know what else to think or what to say. I, I agree with both your frustrations and uh, frustration either turns into anger, especially with me uh, in particular pretty quickly. And that's I'm long past that. But anyway, um, unfortunately most of my well, and, anger has been toward the owners end of it at this point. Um, but I mean, since we're running out of time, I'll kind of keep it short. I, I, I really want the most games to be played as possible. Unlike Scott, I do think yeah. that once we get going, I think that they will be able to finish the season. And not only that, but I actually believe that they'll actually be able to have fans in stands in most stadiums by the playoff time. Um, that's actually That'd my awesome. thought on it. Uh, and, and so with that being said, I think that some of these financial concerns, especially the owners have, are going to you know, get thrown out the window anyways. But agreement needs to happen, and I'm really frustrated how far away that the owners and, and the players association are on things. Um, the owners keep throwing out different proposals. They've, they've, it's their third proposal now. They started with their sliding scale one, which no one likes right from the get-go. Um, and, and the two proposals since then really hasn't moved the needle financially at all. And I think it's just right. this is a waste of time at this point, and it's really frustrating. Um, well, so I'm not sure what's going to happen. I have to guess at this point that it starts sometime in the middle of July and the agreement will be somewhere around 70 plus games, um, uh, with some concessions made on both sides, but it has to happen pretty quickly and hopefully within the next week. Cause if not, I, it's just, the fans are getting very frustrated as you can hear in all, all three of our voices. And it's just, it's just ridiculous at this time. Uh, 2020 is not going to be a normal year for anyone or any business. Um, and, and so, um, Something has to come to fruition. They have to get in the same room together or whatever. They have to hash something out, get something done. I, I mean, just for the for the good of the game.